Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. My name is Kyle. I serve as one of the pastors here and sincerely welcome. Glad you are here. Uh, when I was living in Minneapolis with my wife, uh, we were part of this ministry. And what we would do once a month, maybe every other week, we would go to some random kind of local hotspot and we would try to find strangers and talk to them about spiritual things. This is not an easy thing to do, uh, especially when we were a little young, kind of timid. And so one winter night, we ended up at the Mall of America and get to the Mall of America. And I walk to the food court because the food court is where all the men hang out who've been dragged to the Mall of America by their wives or girlfriends. And I figured they're miserable. Mom's talking about Jesus. And I'm in a good spot. And so I walk up and I can still see this guy's face. I still remember his name. His name was Charlie. As so a Charlie and I start talking and at first, I think the conversation's going really well. Uh, he's got questions. I got answers. Our personalities just, they blended pretty well, so we're having a good conversation. And, and then I get to the point of the conversation, and we start talking about forgiveness and grace and mercy. And he stops. He says, okay, wait a minute. He says, so hypothetically, if Hitler on his deathbed asked for forgiveness... You're telling me that God would let him off for killing millions of people. You're telling me that he could go to heaven scot-free, just like that. And I was kind of like taken back for a second. Because typically Hitler and Jesus don't come up in the same conversation. And so I kind of stumbled over my words. And I'm like, uh, yeah, 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 Hitler would go to heaven. And he said, see, I can't get on board with that. He said, I can't understand how a good God would just let Hitler off. And so Charlie and I talked for a couple more minutes, and he walked away, and we never spoke again. See, Charlie, what he had to wrestle with, grasp what he couldn't understand or believe in, was forgiveness. And I think we can all resonate with Charlie, because forgiveness, it, it kind of flies in the face of how we naturally think of things. Forgiveness is not easy. Actually, C.S. Lewis wrote, forgiveness of all the Christian virtues, is probably the most unpopular. Because, he said, it's a lovely idea until you actually have to forgive someone. And let's not think about Hitler. Hitler is a hard case study. Think about the last time you had to forgive someone. Was it easy? Or was it like this gut-wrenching thing? Or maybe you're sitting here today thinking about a person and you just would say straight up, I haven't forgiven them yet. Like the hurt's too big, the hurt's too strong. In a couple weeks, we're about to be with family for Christmas. We're going to be with friends for Christmas, people we only see once a year. Like who's dreading that because you have to step into some just jacked up family situations. And there's unforgiveness and bitterness and anger. And you don't even know what you're walking into. Like, why is forgiveness so hard? And why talk about it at Christmas? Well, very simply, if you miss forgiveness, you will miss Christ. And if you miss Christ, you miss Christmas. And so today, I want us to engage with forgiveness. But I just want to have a little parenthetical comment right here. I don't anticipate that I'm going to say anything that theoretically anyone's going to disagree with. I think we're going to be on the same page. But in here, I know where everyone's at. Yeah, but what about when? 
Like forgiveness is great, but what about when they did this to me? We all have the what about when scenario. And so let's acknowledge that, but keep it right here for a little bit. And we'll come back to it, but just keep the what about when right here. And let's engage with what Jesus says about forgiveness first. If you have your Bible, I want you to open up to Matthew 18. See, Matthew 18, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking to them about conflict. And Peter says, and Peter's one of Jesus' disciples, he asks Jesus a question. Christ, how many times should we forgive someone? Seven times? And what Peter's doing here is he, he's trying to sound super spiritual. Because Peter knew the answer. Rabbitic Judaism is very clear. You forgive someone three times, and then you're done. And so Peter says, what, well, should it be seven times, Jesus? Like, I'm really holy. I'll go seven times. And Jesus looks at Peter, and I'm imagining he's kind of rolling his eyes. He says, more like 77, Peter. And it's this figure of speech saying, there's no limit to how often you forgive someone. But what about when? No, there's no limit. And as mind-boggling as it is to us, it's as mind-boggling to the disciples. You just keep forgiving again and again. Is that what you really want us to do? And because that's so mind-boggling, Jesus tells a story. And that's where I want to pick up the text with you in verse uh, 23. Jesus tells the story of a king and a servant. He says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one servant was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, just when the disciples heard this amount of money, their minds would have been blown away. 10,000 talents? See, what Jesus does here is he takes the biggest number they have in the Greek language at the time, 10,000, and he pairs it with the largest monetary denomination they have at the time. Right? It takes the largest amount of money, largest amount of uh, denomination, he puts it together. 10,000 talents. Scholars think that in Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, the surrounding regions, there's only about 600 talents in all of circulation. So this cat owes the king more than 10 times the amount of money that even exists. Crazy debt. What did this guy buy? Real estate in Boston, probably. Verse 25. And since he could not pay, clearly, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his face, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Radical forgiveness. The servant's dragged in. He begs and he pleads for mercy. And I love verse 27, out of pity. The Greek there, it's gut-level compassion. The servant, his family, the debt's forgiven. They're released and they're free. Think for a second what that servant's feeling. Think of the joy that comes with that. Think of the relief that comes with that freedom. That 10,000 talents, you don't owe it anyone. Just imagine tomorrow the bank called you up. And they said, credit card debt, mortgage, student loans, uh, car loan, all, everything you owe, totally done. You're free. Don't have to pay another nickel off on that. 
what would that do for you? Think about just the life-giving, the joy, the excitement. How would that change your how would that change your kids' life? How crazy would your Christmas celebration be? And now take that feeling and multiply it by a million because this servant owes a million more than you do. What do you think the next thing the servant would do? Verse 29. I'm sorry, verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. How is that possible? Like when you read that, when you hear that, that should create some rage in you. Because this clown just got forgiven 10,000 talents. And now he goes after this dude who owes him pennies relative to it. And so he drags this guy in, and the guy falls down, says the exact same phrase that the servant said to the king. Have mercy with me. I'll pay you back everything. The difference, the servant refuses, throws him in jail. Well, master, the king now hears of what happened, and he calls the servant back to him. He says, verse 32, Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave all the debt because you pleaded with me. It should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. The English softens the language. He's delivered to the torturers. And that's how the story ends. And so Jesus then looks at his disciples and says in verse 35, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If I could sum up this story, this sermon really, in one sentence, I would say it this way. Forgiveness is offered to you, so forgiveness should be offered through you. Right? Forgiveness is offered to you, so forgiveness should be offered through you. But when we start to think about forgiveness and it's hard and people don't deserve it and it's just gut-wrenching and I don't want to go through it, I, I agree with you. And the reason why I agree with you is because we're all starting at the wrong spot. We all start with, how dare they do that to me? How dare they treat me that way? It starts with the offense to us. And what Jesus says is that, no, you start with the king. If you want to understand forgiveness, it's possible by knowing that through Christ you've been forgiven. Like, make no mistake, in this story, all of us here, we're the guy who owes 10,000 talents. We all have this crazy amount of debt that we owe to the king, right? The Bible calls it sin. And this sin is so severe that you can't pay it off, that you can't work it off, you can't say enough polite things, you can't just go to church to make it right. No, we all have this debt that's chaining us down, is condemning us. And so we're all dragged before the king in the same way. And there's only one thing all of us can do. Beg and plead for mercy. Have patience with me. Forgive me. And in that moment, what does the king do for us? 
refuse, withhold forgiveness, throw you in prison. No, with gut-level compassion, he sends his son to be born that he can pay for our debt. That, that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's why we're so decked out and we're celebrating, we're singing joy to the world. Because Jesus came to pay for the debt that we owe. Colossians 2, 13. And you who were dead, that's all of us, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. At the cross, we are forgiven. At the cross, mercy is extended, grace is for us, sin is dealt with, no more debt. And the reason why that's great, good, beautiful news is that if Jesus can forgive 10,000 talents, what he's saying is there's no limit to what he can forgive. There is no sin that I've done, there's no sin that you've done that's so horrendous, that's so atrocious, that is more powerful than the cross. There's no sin that disqualifies you from his forgiveness. Because Jesus came to pay the debt in full. I told you about Charlie, the guy I talked with the Mall of America. I wish so badly that I could have another conversation with him. Because when he asked me the question about, can Hitler just be let off? I didn't know how to respond in the moment. If I could talk to Charlie now, I would say, Charlie, no, no, no. Hitler's sin is not forgotten. It's forgiven. Debt, the debt's paid for. When Jesus Christ dies on the cross, he swallows up God's wrath for Hitler's sin. When Jesus dies on the cross, he pays the debt for my sin. He pays the debt for your sin. That's the beauty of the gospel. Forgiveness is so hard because we're starting at the wrong place. We have this amazement of how dare they do that to me? In what world could they have treated me that way? And what Jesus is teaching in this parable is that, no, you start with this amazement that the king has first forgiven you. Forgiveness is offered to us, so forgiveness should be offered through us. That's where forgiveness starts. But why then, in light of what God's done, why is it when we get to this point, forgiveness seems optional to us? No one argues with, yeah, God's forgiven me, that's good. But now I have to forgive someone else. Man, why are we so stingy? Why are we all of a sudden so offendable? Because here's the scariest thing about forgiveness. And Jesus makes it clear in verse 35. He'll say the same thing in Matthew 6. He says, if you do not forgive, then you're not forgiven. But what about when? No, no, no. If you do not forgive, then you're not forgiven. And just to be clear, what Jesus isn't saying is that you earn your forgiveness by being a forgiving person. Right? Because if that were the case, the story would have been flipped around. It would have started with the servant forgiving someone else's debt. But what Jesus is saying is that if you actually have experienced gospel, blood-bought forgiveness for you, then you will naturally be a forgiving person. Forgiveness always first flows to you, and then it flows through you. 
But if you look at your life and all you see is unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment and anger, where Jesus says, okay, just follow that back upstream, and what you're going to realize is that you've never experienced God's forgiveness to you. But what about when? What about when it's been so bad, it's so, it's so terrible, and, and all these different things, the worst case scenario that's in your head? Let's look at that for one second. Take the what about when situation. Why was it so hard to forgive? Or why haven't you forgiven them yet? Is the reason they didn't or they don't deserve it? Is the reason that well, you'll forgive, but they just have to earn it first? Is the reason that it's just too atrocious? It's just too painful. And I'd rather just sacrifice the relationship than have to go back into that. Is the reason you won't forgive because you're justified in your anger? And it almost feels good. I have the moral high ground here. I'm just curious. This is for all of us. Did you deserve God's grace? When did that happen? Or what did God make you do to earn his favor? I wonder what my worst, most terrible sin looks like in the face of a holy God. I wonder how atrocious that was. And just so we're all clear, God would be 100% justified to pour out his wrath on us. Okay, fine, I'll forgive Kyle, but I won't forget. I wonder if when the king looked and said, I love you and I forgive you, I wonder if in the back of his mind what he's really thinking is, yeah, but I'm going to forget what you did, you little wicked worm. And I'm going to bring that back up when it's beneficial to me. And I know I'm asking these questions, and I'm making it seem so black and white. Like forgiveness should be so easy. I know that your what about when situation is terrible. Actually, I bet I can't even comprehend how awful some of them are. And if we all knew some of the stuff we were wrestling with and some of the relationships that needed healing, I think we'd probably come around you and we'd weep with you and we'd pray for you because the situation is just such, such a nightmare. And so you can talk about forgiveness all you want, Kyle, but, but it's all great in theory. But this is really hard stuff. And I know it's hard I know it's the mountain of forgiveness that you might have to climb seems so high. I just know what happens when you don't forgive. I've shared this before. I grew up with a mom who was addicted to everything under the sun. Which means hundreds of times mom came and begged for forgiveness and made promises. I'm never going to do it again, Kyle. Never going to ruin this, never going to ruin that again. And then I saw hundreds of relapses every time. And all of a sudden, anger started to grow in me. 
And I remember every Christmas, birthday, any celebration, I remember that getting hijacked by drunkenness or an OD. And then resentment starting to build. And I remember feeling like, man, my, my childhood's hijacked here because all my friends do all these great things on the weekends. You know what I do? Treatment center, detox, halfway house, visit mom in jail. Well, that doesn't seem fair. How come my mom can't be like other people's moms? Resentment. And then I remember mom coming back again after 20 years. Kyle, please forgive me. I swear this is it. I swear it's not going to happen again. And at this point, I'm justified in my anger. No. If you want forgiveness, mom, that's fine. Stop looking at it from me. Because I'm done. I get the moral high ground now, mom. What about when? Because that's real life. How do you forgive that? My anger, my resentment, my unforgiveness, they were not justified. They were blinding. And sure, I might have gained the moral high ground, but I lost Christ in the midst of it. I lost who Christ is. I lost what he'd done for me. Like, hear this, forgiveness is offered to you, so that forgiveness should be offered through you. But if you look at your life and all you see is anger and bitterness and resentment and frustration and all these things, like, just hear the words of Christ this morning. You might not know God's forgiveness like you think you do. Right? Forgiveness is to you. It flows to you first so that it can flow through you. It just naturally leads to the one vital question, how? How can we forgive someone? Well, I think we can learn three things from this passage, and the first is this. Acknowledge that there's debt owed. Right? The Bible never calls to minimize sin. The Bible never says, pretend like it didn't happen. No, 10,000 talents were owed, 100 denarii were owned. Like, you, you can acknowledge that sin happened. And if you want to grow in forgiveness, it, it means today you have to send a text message. It means you have to make a phone call. Husbands, wives, it means in the drive home, you need to acknowledge that there is sin. And just to be clear, I'm not talking that you were offended by something. I'm saying, no, there's actual legitimate sin. And maybe that means you're telling them that they sinned against you. Maybe it means you have to acknowledge, I sinned against you. But if you don't acknowledge that there's a debt owed, you will never get the forgiveness. Second thing is you have to ground yourself then in the king's forgiveness. You yourself, when it feels better not to forgive, when you feel like you're justified, no, it's, okay, I owe 10,000 talents. God's grace was to me. It was for me. I'm, I'm loved. I'm welcomed. I'm brought in. And I'm amazed at how good God's been with me. All right, you need to have this posture of gospel is to you first. 
Right? You acknowledge there's debt owed, but then you yourself ground yourself in the gospel. And you enjoy the freedom of grace to you. And then lastly, you forgive from the heart. That's what Jesus said in verse 35. With gut-level compassion, you forgive from the heart. And none of this garbage where I forgive, but I don't forget. I forgive, but there's stipulations. And I'm going to keep a record of wrongs just in case I need to use them later. No, you just look at them and you say, no, we're good. Gospel offered to you. Gospel threw me to you. It's okay, we're good. And that doesn't mean that, you're, that you need to be just a walking mat to be taken advantage of. It doesn't mean that there's not actual consequences that still have to take place. It doesn't mean that there's still a long process of reconciliation that might need to happen. But it means that in your heart you look at them with grace and you forgive them. And then you free yourself from anger and bitterness and frustration. But you need to have that posture that I'm forgiving from the heart. But what about when we can't agree upon the debt that's owed? What about when I'm coming to them and I want forgiveness, but they won't offer it to me? Because that's family Christmas dysfunction. Right? Well, if you're in your, that situation this season, what do you do then? I would very simply say, you bless them and you move on. Romans 12, 18, you seek to live peaceably with all men. When you've done everything in your power to pursue godliness and reconciliation and holiness and forgiveness, when you've extended grace to them or when you've repented before them, if they won't play ball, if they're not coming to the table, you bless them and you move on but you can free yourself from the resentment and anger and bitterness that's holding you down. You can only control what you can control. And you can't control what you can't control. And here's what you can't control, their heart. But you can control your heart. So you forgive from the heart, you bless them, and you move on. And you prayerfully hope that the Spirit does something in them. But forgiveness is offered to you so that forgiveness should be offered through you. And so I want to close with this simple plea. Don't miss forgiveness this year. Don't miss it this Christmas. We have the opportunity to spend or to end 2019 on this super great, forgiving, grace-filled, gospel-saturated note where you can forgive and you can march into 2020 just light just free just pursuing reconciliation with everyone that you would just be this mirror of gospel what is holding you back why wouldn't you want that I know that the gospel is for me I know the gospel has covered me I know that God loves me I'm blown away by grace. I would say this, though. I hate and regret 
It took me so long to forgive my mom. And for 23 years, like just this self-righteous, entitled little brat. And that she would come to me all the time and just beg. And I'd refuse. And then I just had this anger and bitterness, and I just pushed it way down. Don't be me. Because I can tell you on the other end of it. When in grace, God beat me over the head with Matthew 18. When he graciously beat me over the head with Romans 5, that God's love needs to be put in your heart. Man, the last three years that I had got with my mom before she passed away, it was like the best thing ever. And it doesn't mean that the past didn't happen. But when I could look at her and say, okay, if Christ doesn't condemn her, why in the world would I? And similarly, I had to go to her and say, Mom, I need you to forgive me. Because I've treated you wrongly. I have missed Christ the whole time. Now on the other end of it, oh, just freedom. Just light. Just joy. Don't miss forgiveness this year. It'll change your life. Forgiveness is offered to you, which means forgiveness should be offered through you. And that puts you in one of two camps this morning. The first camp is you need to know forgiveness is offered to you. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning as Lord and Savior, there is a 10,000 talent debt that's owed. You can't pay it off, you can't work it off, and you can't be good enough to make it right. But by the blood of Christ, the debt's been paid in full. And this morning, if you would just simply pray, Jesus Christ, I need you to take care of this debt. I put my trust and my faith in you. You can be free forever. And if you'd make that confession this morning, I would love to speak with you because everything's changed. The other camp you could be in this morning is that forgiveness needs to be offered through you. And it means that you acknowledge that there's debt owed, you ground yourself in the gospel, and you forgive from the heart. And I'm not minimizing it. I'm not oversimplifying it. I know it's hard. But if you miss that, you miss Christ. And if you miss Christ, you miss Christmas. And what are we doing here? Don't miss it this year. The gospel's good, and it's to you, so let it be through you. All right, let's pray.